Alright, hello my brothers and sisters and welcome back um, again to the Faith Channel to another Bible study. Welcome to the podcast. Anyone who's listening in on the podcast, try and centre myself rather than just being down here the whole time. Anyway, we're going into chapter 8, I think. How far are we getting into? We're getting into um, 1 through to 13 is the plan. I can feel my chair going down. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Well, that's a bit. Anyway, so... We're going into chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. So I guess we'll just sort of read through the whole thing, might as well, and then we'll go back through it um, bit by bit. So, when he was coming down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy um, was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, shew thyself to the priest, and offer um, the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into, Cap- uh, into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, um, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus um, heard it, he marvelled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have found no um I have found so great I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way and uh, and as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. It happened again. My chair went down again. Okay. That's annoying. I don't know why he keeps doing that. Oh, well. it's, it's, usually if I push it up, it stays up for a little while. But anyway, enough about the chair. We're not here to talk about the chair. We're here to talk about our Lord. So anyway, so obviously a few things happened there. And I guess we'll just kind of get into it. So we'll start back again. And this time we'll go through explaining it. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So he's just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And now there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who came to hear him talk and came to see what he could do because he was a very popular fellow and he had a very popular message. And as well as that, it was a very unpopular message. I suppose it's a controversial message, um, which is interesting when you think about it. It's like, um, was it Yorkie there did the, a few years ago, I remember, it's like Yorkie, not for women, that sort of thing. It's like basic advertising. If you want to drum up business you just you'd be controversial and that imagery might be drawn to some people's minds here but that's not what he's doing he's not making something that shouldn't be controversial controversial in order that people can hear it or like more people will get to it he's just delivering a message that is necessarily controversial it's always going to be controversial you can't make it controversial you can't make it not controversial to make it controversial you're not making controversial it's controversial anyway to make it non-controversial is just to lie about what it truly is because the basic message of the gospel is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god sin is something that's worth death it's a crime it's worth punishment and christ has come to save us and we cannot save ourselves only he can save us that's the basic message of the gospel of sin and salvation but salvation that we cannot attain by our own means but through the 
sacrifice of Christ. And that is always going to be controversial. There's no way to make that controversial. It's just controversial by itself. There's no way to make it non-controversial without removing like the most basic elements of it. So I want to be clear about that. That's but that's that's the thing. Controversy it sells, I guess, and something that's just naturally controversial. There's going to be a natural following for it. But he didn't make it, Christ didn't make it controversial so he could have a following. He just told the truth, and the truth was controversial. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst cleanse me. Now, I want to tell you something about leprosy. Okay, so let's say you have two people in a room. One man does not have leprosy. One man does have leprosy. Their skin touches. You've now got two people with leprosy. Okay, so that's just how it works. It's, it's such a contagious disease, at least from my understanding of it. It's when you touch someone with leprosy, you've got leprosy. End of discussion, essentially. This is why they had to be exiled. Like, they weren't exiled out of cruelty. It's like, oh, they're dirty. Get rid of them. They're exiled out of, like, you know, you are a genuine danger to this community. I know it's not your fault or whatever, but, let, like, letting you around here is... And obviously there's, you know, these things like leper colonies and stuff are obviously unethical and they're obviously, you know... But they weren't made to be unethical. They weren't made to be those people are different to get them away from here. You know, and there have been, I suppose, examples of people being, like, shunning people for being different. But that I don't think that was the case. So, like, leprosy was just literally, you are just so dangerous that we're going to abandon your basic ethics just to get you out of here. And I don't agree with that stuff. I'm not trying to be here to reason. Like, here, this is why it was actually a good thing to have leper colonies. Obviously, they were a horrific thing. Um, but I'm just trying to give you an insight into how people thought of leprosy, how they thought of it. That this is, you know, this isn't me justifying. This is just me explaining. This is how scared people were of leprosy because it was a horrible disease to have and it was such an easy one to get like i say one person without leprosy touches someone with leprosy the person without gets leprosy so anyway jesus is about to touch a man with leprosy um and jesus sorry and jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying i will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed all right so jesus is doing four things here he's showing off four things here so he's he's giving proof he's showing how he is which leads to the third thing, which is showing how we should be. And as well, he's showing how we should treat his word. So how how, how, how do I mean these four different things? Well, we look at it. So what's he doing first? Well, Jesus claims to be God. All right. And people people might say, no, no, Jesus, Jesus never claimed to be God. I, I want to tell you something about the gospel. If you take the gospel and you remove the part that says Jesus is God, you don't have the gospel. You have a very interesting story about a very interesting man doing very interesting things. But if you remove the idea that Jesus is God, that's all you have is an interesting story. You do not have truth. You do not have good news. You do not have the gospel. You, you have a half-truth. You have, you know, just enough wrong that it can basically be considered a lie. Because if you take the gospel and you remove christ being god well congratulations you don't have the gospel anymore it's like having a car and removing the wheels yeah you still have a car it's, it's just not going to go anywhere you know it, it does it's it no longer serves its basic primary function so you know removing the deity of christ from the gospel is just r ridiculous and people say well no he's not god he he really is and that's what he's proving here when he heals the leper he's, he's saying look i've told you all i am god let me prove it he says, I, I, I've told you all, like, I am God, God can do miraculous things, let me do a miraculous thing. And I suppose that's a bigger discussion that I'm not, I don't know, I don't think I have time to get into now. About, you know, um, Jesus always claims to be God. I, I suppose I'll have to, uh, like, when we come to some of that stuff, maybe, or, like, when we come, when we come across the individual instances, 
in um, in the Gospels or in the books we study, uh, I would explain them at the time. Um, but of course, I think I have a video on the Trinity and stuff like that, and a playlist about Jesus being God. You know, so if that's something you're interested in. But yeah, no, like that's we we do not base two thousand years of theology on something that's just not in the Bible. That's just not what that just it doesn't happen. All right. Like maybe some secondary traditions in the Catholic Church are just not biblical and they rose a bit later, sure. But this isn't like a secondary tradition. This is the main part of the gospel. You know, that stuff doesn't, we, we don't base our entire theology on something that isn't in our book of theology. That's just not how that works. So, and people uh, as well try to point out like, well, this first proves Jesus isn't God. <laughs> this first proves Jesus isn't God, lads, I promise you. If there is a single verse in the Bible that by itself can prove Jesus isn't God, then I think that at some point of 2,000 years of heavy studying by some great minds, some great theologians, they would have found it. Alright? I don't think... I don't think it would have taken 2,000 years for some 17-year-old on TikTok to read a verse that's been in the Bible the whole time and, and, and figure it out. Trust me, that, that's just not how that works. So anyway, Jesus is God and here he's... Let's move my thing. Um, anyway, G, um, Jesus is God and he's proving it here. He's, you know, he he, he he believes in evidence. This whole thing of blind faith is it's not biblical. He believes in evidence and he wants to prove himself and he wants to say, you know, here's me showing you that I am who I am. Um, and as well showing you who he is. It's not just the claims he makes, but who he is as a person. The second thing, who Jesus himself is as a person. He's a kind person. And he helps this man. And this man, he comes up to him, this unclean man, you know, this dejected by society. And Jesus says, I will help you. And he, and he does, and he helps him. And that is, of course, leads on to the third thing, which is how we should live. Because Jesus, of course, in many instances, pretty much all the time, really acts as sort of a guideline for ourselves. Now, obviously... Most of us don't have healing. I, I don't think, personally, I don't think healing is something you can turn on and off. I think healing is, in certain instances, the Lord might heal someone through you, but that's the Lord deciding to do it at a certain instance. I don't think that any individual can heal on command. And I think this is very obvious that most healers know this. There's very few healers who I think actually believe they can heal. Um, anyone who like labels himself as a healer, I, I don't believe, because like I said, I don't think it's something that a person can have. I think it's just something that God does in a particular uh instance uh, through a person but anyone who labels themselves a healer I, I don't think they're um, speaking the truth but sometimes they might just be wrong but most of the time I think they are lying and this is very clear when you look at them like people like Benny Hinn have like screeners and stuff which you know if he genuinely believes he can heal people why is he not letting up people to, to be healed you know um, and people try and come up with all these things like well it's it's it, 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 you know a, a one in ten people are healed you're like well you know what <laughs> you know that that's ridiculous. That just sounds like you you're trying to make an excuse for you know, when when all the times when placebo and adrenaline doesn't make the person think that they are healed, you can say they're the nine out of ten. And the one time the placebo or the adrenaline does make the person think that they're healed, so that's the, you know that, that that's the one out of ten. You know, but I, I don't think God holds to to that idea of I will heal one out of ten of you. You know, I I don't think that's how that works. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. I say all this to say, we're not necessarily meant to go out and heal people. If you can heal people, do it. If you're like a doctor or stuff, then go ahead and do it. But we're meant to help people. And that's what Christ is showing us here. We're meant to help people. We're meant to help those in ways where we can help and where they need help. You know, And so it's like, with the leper, well, he can represent anybody. Well, what about the poor? Well, if we have money, 
we give to the poor? What about the hungry? We give them food. What about the cold? We we, we give them clothes and stuff. Is that a fly? Oh, it is. Go away, you. Um, you know, so we, we help people. We need to help people, just as Christ helped people. We need to help people in whatever ways we can. If you can't help someone, you can't help them, then you're fair enough. But if you can help someone, you really should. And you really should try. And then, what's the fourth thing he was doing? Let me try and remember now. So what if I... Oh yeah, he was showing us how we should treat um his teachings, I believe. So if you notice the way he heals this man... You know, he, I don't think there's no uniform way Jesus heals someone because as we're about to find out with the centurion, he doesn't even need to touch the person. He just needs to decide that the person is healed and they are because he is God. Um, you know, so, you know, like he doesn't need to touch the person, but he reaches out and he touches them. And as well, you know, we see what well, well, healing, say the blind man, for example, one of the times he healed the blind man. He just was he, he like spat in some dirt and made balls and rubbed it in his eyes or he made them off and spat in them like he spat in dirt and rubbed it in, in the guy's eyes I think and and I, I I'm not I haven't looked into the meaning behind that but each of these like every time he does it it has a particular meaning it, it, every time he goes out of his way to make a show of it like say touching a leper or rubbing dirt in someone's eyes or something like that it has a meaning beyond simply just being a show he doesn't have to switch it up he could literally just go right you're healed. You know, and they're healed. And he doesn't need to say, he just needs to decide that they're healed. He only says, right, you're healed, just to tell them, you know. So he just, he only needs to decide someone is healed in the air. He just didn't need to reach out and touch this man. But I think what he's doing is he's showing how we are to treat um, his teachings in, in a way. And this is something we see with politics, I think. Unfortunately, um, they do wrong is say, I guess I'll just I'll give you an example. Say you ask a Marxist. What 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 was Jesus' politics? Well, he was a Marxist. Okay. Now, if we ask a socialist the same question, all of a sudden Jesus was a socialist. If we ask a liberal the same question, Jesus was a liberal. If we ask a conservative the same question, Jesus was a conservative. If we ask um, a nationalist, Jesus was a nationalist. If we ask a libertarian, he was a libertarian. If we ask a monarchist, he was a, a monarchist. If we ask an anarchist, he was an anarchist. So it seems that everyone who tries to mix religion and politics or Jesus and politics inevitably come to the idea that Jesus believes whatever their own pre-existing political beliefs are. And so the, the, the problem with that there is that they are going into the Bible to put stuff into it rather than to take stuff out. Um, and so what they do is they'll read a verse and instead of saying, Jesus did this, which means X, Y, Z, they'll say, I believe X, Y, Z, which is why Jesus said this, you know. So it's basically, it's instead of looking at what Jesus said and trying to figure out what he meant, it's trying to figure out how you can get what you mean to fit with what Jesus said or what you believe to fit with what Jesus said. And I think that's the exact opposite of what we are told to do with the gospel. I think if you go through and you read the gospel and you come out with the idea that um, Jesus agreed with everything you already believed before going into and uh, reading the gospel. Chances are you haven't read the gospel. You've just read your own little manifesto through Jesus's words, essentially. You know, and obviously that's not the case with every little individual thing. Like, for example, if you read that Jesus condemns murder and you're like, well, I already condemned murder. You're like, yeah, that's 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 fair enough. That's fine. You know, the chances are you would agree with him on that. But if you read about Jesus condemning a rich lifestyle, condemning materialism, you know, or, or you read, say, the, the, the eye of the camel or something like that, but you already are materialistic. You're a materialistic person, you're a rich person, and you read it and you say, 
Well, what he's actually saying is people who are richer than me, because I already don't like those people, so it's, it's not rich people in general, it's just people who are richer than me, which is, which is something interesting, you see, it's, you know, the, the wealthy will say it's, it, it's, you know, it's the fault of the rich, the rich will say it's the fault of the millionaires, the millionaires will say it's the fault of the billionaires, the billionaires will say it's the fault of whoever's richest world, person in the world at the time, and the richest person in the world at the time will say it's everyone else's fault, and, you know, whatever the problem is, chances are it's all their faults, but that's, you know, that's the sort of thing we see is, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm in a position of power, but it's the people just above me, or I'm in this position of whatever, but it's the people just above me who are at fault, not not me. But then if they ever reach that position, you know, it's it's the people, like, say you're, like, you're a millionaire, well, it's the billionaire's fault. Let's say you become a billionaire, well, it's someone else's fault, you know, that sort of thing. And we see this in every aspect of life, not just with money, I suppose, but anyway. And I know that's, that's getting into politics a little bit, but I don't like rich people in general, I'm not saying, you know. I'm not going to say tax the rich, read the rich, I'm not going to say don't do it. That's up to you to decide. And I'm certainly not going to, whatever political statement I make, I am certainly not going to take it out of Jesus. Or I'm certainly not going to try and find within the, the teachings of Jesus. I'm just going to go to the teachings of Jesus and see what he says. And Jesus doesn't say tax the rich. Jesus doesn't say eat the rich. Jesus says the rich should just give their money to the poor. Jesus says that the rich, the wealthy, everybody should give their money to the poor. And anyone who isn't rich, but has money to give, should give to the poor. Whether you're rich, or you just have a couple extra euro, you give to the poor. You know, and that's not a political statement. That's not me saying I think the rich should give up all their money, whatever. I know it kind of does sound a bit like it, but that's not a political statement. I'm simply just going off of the words of Jesus here. And that's not Jesus saying the rich shouldn't be rich. That's Jesus saying, you know... Well, the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil, for example. It's just Jesus saying, we need to help those who need our help, who we can help. And that's not a political statement. Tax the rich is a political statement. Help those in need is not a political statement. And you'll notice as well, because Jesus was very apolitical, because I don't think he cared. I just don't think when we look at the scripture, I just don't think that he cared about politics. Uh, and, and of course, the politics isn't the only time people do it. I suppose I'll try and come away from politics now because it is a divisive thing. Um, but, but, but politics isn't the only time people do it. People do it with their own theology. You know, you see, progressive theology is all about just ignoring what Jesus said or trying to lie about what he said or trying to change what he said. You know, it's about when you come across something in the Bible, you can just pretend that it's not there, pretend that it doesn't mean what it clearly means or pretend all these different things. Um, we have, uh, what is this? It's called prosperity theology, prosperity gospel, which is going into, instead of, instead of looking at Jesus' clear teachings of materialism of, those who have should give, essentially, you know. It's those who have should receive more. It's the prosperity gospel, essentially. It's this idea of, well, of, try, of using the gospel as a get-rich-quick scheme. And that's completely against what Jesus said. And so that's what people are doing here. And so going back to the whole thing, because that was a whole big rant, going back to the thing with the leprosy and the leper. In this story, Jesus represents, I suppose, himself. He represents, you know, God as a whole. Um... And the leper really represents us. So like I said before, leprosy is this thing where if you have someone who isn't a leper and someone who is a leper and they shake hands, you've just got two people who are lepers. All right. Um, so and that's the nature of leprosy. So if Jesus was anyone else, if he wasn't God, for example, um, him touching a leper would just make Jesus a leper. It wouldn't heal the leper. But instead what happens is the leper becomes healed. And I think this is a, is a good example of how we um should live our lives because we are the leper and what would usually happen is we read the gospel and we try to put ourselves into it is we as the leper when jesus touches us 
we try to make Jesus like us. We try to pass our filth, our uh, nonsense onto Christ. We try to pass our disease, our sinful desires onto Christ, our politics onto Christ. We try to make the scriptures say what we want them to say. We try to, basically, we try to give Jesus leprosy, essentially. But instead of that, you know, what will actually end up happening is if we allow Jesus to actually reach out and touch us, Jesus will take away those things and he will make us clean. Instead of us passing our dirt and our filth and our nonsense onto Christ, he will pass his cleanliness, his love, compassion, mercy, knowledge of judgment of heaven and hell, of the resurrection of grace. Um, he will give all of that to, um, to, to us, essentially, and he will allow us to, to see the truth and he will allow us to... Um, he will offer us the free gift of salvation we will accept, essentially. Um, so instead of, so what the story illustrates is that realistically what should happen is the leper gives the clean man leprosy. But instead what's happening here is the clean man makes the leper clean. So what we naturally want to happen, what, what we naturally desire is when we look at Christ, we take our own stuff and we put it onto him. That's the natural order of things. That's just what we want to do as naturally selfish, sinful individuals. But instead what happens is Christ takes his cleanliness and he imparts it onto us. And of course we're all still sinners, we're all still falling short of the glory of God. Um, no one stops sinning. They, they do it less if they come to Christ. But everyone, is, everyone still sins, everyone still falls, momentarily has lapses of judgment which lead them to do sins. Which lead them to sin unfortunately. But you know, they sin less and they notice a change in their lives. Not because they are getting better but because God is doing good through them. You know, so any amount of change, I, I personally believe that when someone is touched by Christ, that with the change they see in their lives is not them getting better, it's just Christ working through them, it's just God working through them, I think so. Realistically, when, when Christians, we come to Christ, our lives should get better, but that's not anything that we're worthy of praise for, that's something God is worthy of praise for. When our lives get better, that's not because we as people are getting better, we're stu still just as sinful, we're still just as evil. But instead, it's Christ is now in our lives and now he is working through us. And so we kind of give over the reins. We let him, you know, take control. And so because we're no longer in charge, our lives look better. So obviously it's it's not us being better. It's just Christ being who he is through us. All right. So we'll, we'll move on now. And then, of course, Jesus says, um, and Jesus says unto him, See thou tell no man, go thy way, shew thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So here Jesus is basically saying, you know, go on, off you go to the priests, don't tell anybody. So why is he doing this? Well, so the reason he says don't tell anybody is, and we'll get into this more in a little bit, but basically at the time, um, you know, the, the people thought that the Messiah was going to be a great military leader who would rise up against Rome. And so if, um, he if the leper told anybody what happened, chances are it could jeopardize the whole thing, because and I'll get more into this in a minute, um, because it's going to be relevant to what we're about to talk about. But generally, basically, even you know, it's it, it, they they could mess everything up from, and well, I'll elaborate that soon. Um, but he 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 does he's not you know mean to the guy. He's not like you know listen, if anyone finds out about this, it could jeopardize my mission. I want you to stay in the shadows. Don't tell anyone what happened. Whatever until i'm done he's like no do you know what you're clean don't act dirty anymore you're clean go off live your life so i think that's interesting because jesus could have been like played it extremely safe here when you when you think about it there's nothing stopping him from being like listen people find out about this it'll jeopardize everything i'm here to do 
will you just stay quiet about this for a few more years? He realistically, he, he would have been well enough within his right to do that because he's here to save the world, you know? So asking one man to make that little bit of sacrifice for a little while, it's not entirely unreasonable, but he doesn't do that. He says, do you know what? You are clean. Go and live your life. Go and be who you are. Uh, and I think that just shows, um, that's just a nice little subtle show of the compassion of Christ and the love of Christ to show that he's, he says, you know what? You're clean. Off you go, you know. Well, maybe people disagree with that, but anyway. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Uh, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but seek th uh, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. I'm just going to read through this one more time, and I'll talk about it. Uh, and my servant shall be healed, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to uh, my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marvelled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, um, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the same hour. So going back through that, what do we see here? So we see a centurion coming. Now who is a centurion? A centurion was basically a military leader of sorts. I think obviously the word centurion sent, meaning a hundred, um, he was basically in charge of a hundred men, I believe. And so he comes to him and he's very interesting. He says, Lord. First word out of his, more, uh, out of his mouth, Lord. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's different in the Greek, I don't know, but, but that's like the first word in this version anyway, out of his mouth, he says, Lord. So what's he doing? This man of great authority, this man who, I mean, this is a military man, a military captain, essentially, coming to a civilian and saying, Lord. That's very interesting, don't you think? You know, he's coming and he's saying, Lord. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? He recognises Jesus. He recognises exactly who Jesus is. And this would have been very strange to all the people following him, because remember, he's just... And that's, of course, I forgot to mention as well, Jesus, you know, doing his miracle in front of all those people just to prove who he was. But anyway, so this, this centurion, this Roman guy, comes to Christ. And a lot of these people probably still have somewhere in the back of their minds, well, Jesus has come to overthrow the Romans. So then this Roman guy comes asking for Jesus' help and, their help, and they're probably all there like, watch this, now Jesus is going to tell this man, go and get stuffed or something like that, you know. Um, but then he says, okay, I'll help. And this probably was a surprise to a lot of these people. Because they didn't expect this. And of course that's something we see as well. What I was talking about before. Um, with the people thinking that Jesus was going to overthrow the, the Romans. When we look at Jesus' followers. They didn't understand a lot of the stuff that he was there for. You know, like his basic mission. And he talked about this as well. Was come, preach the word, die for the sins of humanity, rise again. And then send into heaven. When he died, that was a big surprise to a lot of people. Nobody was expecting that. Like honestly, no one saw that coming. Uh, apart from Christ himself, obviously, you know, no, no one knew that was going to happen. His followers were shocked and they were scared and they were confused. So they went into hiding. Um, so, you know, um, or at least they, they stopped preaching for a little while. Um, but, you know, they, so, so it's very clear that Jesus taught a lot of stuff that people just didn't understand. People just didn't understand. And so there was a lot of people who didn't understand. Like these people have been traveling with him for years, didn't understand the stuff he was saying. 
Imagine how little people would understand who'd never heard his teachings. So if Jesus had he, um, healed the leper and then the le what he did heal the leper, but if the leper went off then and s started telling people, this man who says he's the Messiah has just healed me, well, what are they going to think? Our Messiah is here. He's come to overthrow the Romans. Let's get him. Let's make him do it. And they would have got him. They would have captured him. And they would have made him go and overthrow the Romans, which would have obviously, you know, wasn't what he was there to do. Would have messed everything up. Um, and so it's interesting. We look here at this. And here's a Roman coming and asking Jesus for help. And Jesus says, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And he says, okay, lead me to the house. And then the centurion says, nope, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of having you in my house. I know if you do it from here, it'll work. And so again, he's this Roman is, is showing the authority that Jesus has over him. And of course, this Roman, he later goes on to say, well, I am a man of great authority. I say to people, go and they go and come and they come and do this and they do it, you know. And here he's saying, look, I, as someone of great authority, know how much more authority you have. And as well as it's it's interesting because it, it kind of makes this parallel of this man with great authority. How does he have to use his authority? Well, he has to be actually with the person to tell them to do something. And the things he tells them to do has to be stuff that people can actually do, you know, physically possible and nothing miraculous. So he tells someone to run. Well, you know, they can run or he tells someone to go. People can go. So he, he goes. But he has to be there. Jesus doesn't even need to be in the room with people when he tells them to do stuff and they will do it. And he doesn't even need to tell them to do stuff that's possible. He can tell them to do stuff that's miraculous. And they will do it. He can be like an hour away from someone and tell them to be healed. And they will be healed. Which is a power that the uh, centurion notes. And he says, well, I have to be with somebody and I have to tell them to do you know stuff like going and coming and stuff like that, you know. And so this centurion, this man of great authority, great power, is showing this sort of, while this centurion is someone of great power, he pales in comparison to Christ. So I think that's what, what he's saying here. And of course as well then, Christ marvels at this. Uh, when he heard it, he marveled. And he turned to the people and he started talking, which is of course the idea of, you know, divine, um, you know, or like how much did Jesus know? Which is interesting it's, it's the thing some people will say he knew everything some people will say he didn't that he had limited my personal um belief and i'm willing to be corrected on this this isn't something that i get hit i'm willing to die on but just from the, the clues i've got from scripture like jesus seemingly being surprised i think he knew what he needed to know but he didn't know like every situation he's going to be in or he didn't know everything so for example with a situation like this or for, with, with the leper for example jesus had no idea that that leper was going to come and ask to be healed but when the leper did come, Jesus knew he could heal him. Jesus knew he could do that. Um, I think Jesus always knew where he was going to end up. He was going to end up on the cross. He probably knew when it was going to happen because he said, my time has not yet come. I think that he probably had a good idea Jesus would or, or Judas would um, betray him. Um, or he, he at least knew beforehand. I'm not sure how much, how much beforehand he knew, but he knew beforehand. Uh, I think... For example, he might not have known that, say, Nicodemus would want to talk to him. But when Nicodemus did want to talk, he would know exactly what to say. Jesus would not know in exactly every instance where he would need to preach. But when it came time to preach, he would know exactly what to preach. When his mother asked him at the wedding to turn water into wine or to, you know, just help with the wine situation. Jesus, I don't think, knew that his mother was going to ask that of him. And you can see here him arguing with her, saying, no, my time has not yet come. 
But when he relented and he gave in, he knew at that time that he could do something. You know, so he does. He knows what he can do. He just doesn't know when he's going to have to do it. Essentially, he 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 doesn't know when he's going to have to heal people. He doesn't know when someone's going to come up and ask to be healed or something like that. But when they do come, he knows that he can do it. And I think possibly he can uh, choose to know stuff as well as like if he wants to know something about someone. I think he can certainly choose to know. Like we're calling Levi or Levi or you know Matthew, Matthew's also known as Levi. Um, you know he J Jesus knew his name, and I don't think they'd met before. So, but I think he chose to know, like that person's name. So it it, it does get a bit confusing. Um, I'm not sure about the whole, uh, like all the uh different, um, specifics of it. But I think that's generally the idea of he knew what he needed to know. He knew what he could do. He knew the law. He knew the truth. He knew all of the new covenant and all that stuff. He knew what he needed to teach. He just didn't know every specific instance where he would teach it, you know. And he did, he knew he could heal. He just didn't know everyone he would heal essentially. So I think that's what, what's going on. But anyway, he, anyway, so he marvels and he says to them, um, "I found um, I've not found so great faith in all of Israel, which would have been a big insult." So here he's saying, "See this Roman here, your enemy." He has more faith than all of Israel. And Israel, of course, being the Jews, that being God's people. And they would have been really confused. They're like, well, hold on. You're meant to rise up for God's people against the Romans, do you know? So really, he's, he's implanting this idea of, listen, you know who you think I am? Yeah, I'm not him. That's not like I'm the Messiah. But you've got the idea of the Messiah all wrong, essentially. Um, and I think as well that something's interesting is he's showing them Gentiles can be saved too. Um, so at this stage, you know, people wouldn't really like Jesus during his lifetime never went out to talk to the Gentiles. He his focus was always on the Jews and God's people, and I think what the the plan with him there was that he was trying to prime God's people. He was trying to prime the Jews so they could go out to the rest of the world and preach to him. And people use the fact that Jesus never preached to the Jew or to the Gentiles. Uh, he went out of his way. He never went out of his way to preach to the Gentiles and stuff like that. Showed that he didn't think they could be saved. But I think that we're seeing here. Jesus just tells an entire group of Jews, you see this man, he's not one of God's people, more faith than all of you. He's got more faith than all of you, which is, you know, it's interesting, I suppose, this idea of the centurion having so much faith, it shows Gentiles very much can be saved. It shows Gentiles can be part of the new covenant. And so, you know, I think, um, I, I think that's what he's, do, he's doing here. He's trying to plant the idea in their minds. He's, you know, he will never go out of his way to preach the Gentiles himself, but he's trying to show them, when I've left here, when I've done everything I came to do, you lot will be prepared to go out and preach to the Gentiles. And so that's, what, that's why God came for the Jews first. He wanted to round up his people and at least get his people to be um to, to know what was going on because there's no point going out to the Gentiles first because they don't have any of this idea of the Messiah coming right now and that so they wouldn't really care. But with the Jews he was able to get that base set up of like, okay, you are my people, I've come for you first and foremost. Like I've had the covenant with you for so long. We were in this agreement for so long. Obviously I'm gonna come for you first as well. Uh, and you know he's he came for them first obviously. Um but also as well as that coming for the Jews obviously because they're in the covenant but as well as that just to be able to like once I've got you done, you have to go and get the rest of the world. And that's what he says uh, here as well when he says, and also this idea, first of all, I just want to say Luke was a Gentile. People say, oh, no, well, well the Bible never says that, 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 that Gentiles can be said, well, Luke is a Gentile. He, he wasn't a Jew. He was a, a Gentile physician, you know. 
So this idea that the, 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 the gospel was never meant for the Gentiles, it was just the Jews, which I've heard people say that Jesus only came for the Jews, is just ridiculous. Um, and then he says, uh, Many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's saying, look, people from all around the world are going to be in heaven. And they're probably thinking, but hold on, we're from here. We're not from the east and the west. What's going on? You know, you know um, obviously, so I think this is, he's talking about the Gentiles specifically. I'm sure that were Jews in other parts of the world at that stage. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, they probably were. Um, but... You know, like so he's saying there will be people who are not Jewish who will be in heaven. The Gentiles will be able to, to, to come to heaven, essentially. And so, you know, the the, the Jews probably will be a bit upset by this. Um, but then he goes on to say as well, you know, those who belong to the kingdom, the, ch the children of the kingdom will be cast out. And that's because I think that's talking about the Jews who would not come to accept Christ's message. Because they would try and stay under the old covenant, which is no longer in place. And now they're not under the new covenant also because they're not um, following Christ. So they're not under any covenant with God. And so those people who feel like they have or that or they are God's children essentially aren't anymore because they've, they're no longer under the old covenant. It's finished. It's done. It's gone away with. And they're not under his new covenant. So they're just not under a, co a covenant with God anymore. So those people who think that, that, that they're the children of heaven, those people who think that they're getting into heaven... They really aren't. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying, um, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he's not saying, obviously, all the children of the kingdom. He's not saying all the Jews. Obviously, people like Paul were Jews at the very early stages of what we now call Christianity. They were just known as Jews. You know? So, it, it's not all of them, obviously. But it's, it's well, certainly nowadays, anyway, anyone who doesn't, you know, follow christ um but it's like what he's saying is people who consider themselves the children of, of the kingdom but don't follow me you know you're not getting in because the only way to get into heaven is through christ ephesians 2 8 through 9 for by grace we say through faith and not of works this is a gift of god not of ourselves any man should boast you know so it's it, it's thanks to the sacrifice of christ on the cross that people can get into heaven at all and so people who ignore it, even if they say themselves that they are, you know, um, children of heaven, we don't follow Christ. It doesn't really mean much. Um, and Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. So we'll leave it there, but I'll talk about, a bit more about this. And so this is something the prosperity crowd use a lot. It's like, as you've believed, it, it is done unto you. Now this is Jesus saying this. This is not him turning to the crowd and saying, if you believe it, it'll be done to you, lads. So anyone here who's, you know, a little bit sick, just believe it'll be better and you'll be better. This is Jesus saying, well, because of your faith, because of your great faith, I've decided to heal you in this particular moment. But but, but the, pa the, the the prosperity pastors often use this. It's like, what, are, are you sick? Are you dying? Well, guess what? You don't have enough faith, which isn't going to encourage people at all. Prosperity people like to say they're encouraging people. But if you're telling someone who's like dying that they don't have enough faith to be healed, that's just going to scare them. Because what's the natural conclusion? I don't have enough faith to be healed. Do, do I really have faith to get into heaven? You know, you're like, that's just scaring people. And that's the sort of scare tactics that we see people complain about, I suppose. You know, people are like, oh, well, Christianity is all the scare tactics. And it's not. There's parts of it. Yes, there's parts of it. Like, not true Christianity. There's parts, like, say, the prosperity crowd. They're like, well, you don't have enough faith. 
you better start getting faith if you want things done for you you know stuff like that that can be seen as scare tactics but generally speaking you'd say it's not you know um but, but you know that that's something that's often used by prosperity people to justify this idea of if anything bad happens to you you just didn't have enough faith which is ridiculous and i've talked about it multiple times throughout this study which i didn't think when i started this study i'd be talking about the prosperity gospel so much but yeah no so that's not what that means it's not saying if you have faith now well then it'll be done to you it's just jesus is saying you know because you've had faith this good thing will happen now it's very much true that if you don't have faith in god no he's not going to do anything for you that is true but just because you have faith in god doesn't mean that all of a sudden he doesn't have the right to not do stuff for you you know it's it's like you know it's like say if your house is burning down and you call the fire brigade and it's not this isn't going to be a perfect analogy but just get my point. If, if, if your house is burning down and you don't follow, call the fire brigade, your house is going to burn down. If your house is burning down and you do fall, call the fire brigade, maybe they'll be able to save the house. Maybe they won't. It, it's sort of that sort of thing. And obviously, like I say, that's not a, a, a fantastic um, analogy because obviously that in that case, it's not the fire brigade choosing not to. It's just they can't when God doesn't do something for you. It's generally not because he can't. It's because he chooses not to. Obviously, there's some stuff he can't do. Like, for example, if you ask him to make a circle with 17 corners, he's not going to be able to do that. I mean, you can make your circle, you can make your shape with 17 corners, but he can't make a circle with 17 corners because that's just not logically possible, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, but, um, uh, anyway, so, you know, so God can choose to say no to stuff. But if you don't have faith, he won't ever say yes. If you do have faith, he might say yes, he might say no, it depends. It's, it's essentially, you know, and that's what, that's what happens with prayer. Is there's three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and not, and not yes, uh, essentially. Um, so anyway, but then, of course, the man's servant was um, healed within the hour and all was well, essentially. Uh, so anyway, I think I'm going to end it off there now, lads, because uh, I, well, I haven't. Just, that's all I've really um, prepared for today and I'm sort of starting to ramble now so you know it might be better if I just end it there uh, thank you for watching or listening however you did this on the podcast on the YouTube whatever um, thank you and God bless <laughs>